0: You are on the Game Trail Podcast. All right, guys, we're on with Hank Shaw. Uh, He is the author of Buck, Buck Moose, and the book is uh, mostly on um, cooking your wild game meat and lots of recipes in there to uh, apply to different games. Um, Hank, did you come up with these recipes yourself over time or how did it all come about?
1: Well, the actual recipes themselves are all they are all mine in a sense of I have taken sometimes existing recipes, sometimes classical recipes, sometimes things that are very common in another country, and I've adapted to them all for the American kitchen. And I've, in many cases, taken recipes that might be for, say, lamb or beef or goat and worked them into using wild games, so either wild sheep or – bear or venison uh so you know it's it would be pretty foolish for me to say "Well, yes i invented steak diane which is a <laughs> two 200 year old recipe but but my version of steak diane is designed specifically for for venison gotcha
0: um <clears throat> you brought up bear and i'm gonna start off with that because a lot of people that we run into i don't know about you but um don't want anything to do with bear and uh do you think it's just because there's a stigma around bear meat that people can't get through? It's like a mind I think thing. there's
1: you know there's a couple things going on. I think you're absolutely right in that a a a bear is a leaner. So you know for in order for somebody to want to eat something, not only does in order for people to eat anything, it it has to not only taste good but it has to think right too. So. You know, there's that famous scene in in Pulp Fiction where you know I don't care if a sewer rat tastes like pumpkin pie. I would never know because I wouldn't eat the filthy. You know, so
2: yeah,
1: right. so a lot of people don't put bears in the eating bucket, and that has a you know hundred some odd year old tradition starting with Theodore Roosevelt around around the turn of the last century when they invented the teddy bear, uh, which is named for Theodore Roosevelt. And so since everybody started to carry around stuffed bears as child children and infants the bear has migrated from a very traditional north american and and some other cultures like scandinavia and russia uh a traditional food item in those cultures to something that is not in the oh i'm going to eat it bucket so there's there's absolutely an issue with that in terms of getting people to to want to eat bear meat and then the mechanical issue is that a Bears are omnivores, and they are a pretty strong vector for trichinosis. Yeah, trichinosis. So you have to cook bear meat properly. Otherwise, you're at risk. So a lot of people just don't want to deal with that at all because we're now living in a generation that did not have trichinosis in in store-bought pork. Well, when I grew up in the 70s, you absolutely had to cook your pork to 165, uh, because the domestic pork population, not all of them, but but there was a chance of trichinosis in, in pork, which is why the old school, you know, the old school rules of cooking pork are, are absolutely murder it. And but we eliminated trichinosis in the domestic pork supply, so there's that. And then the third piece to bear is, uh, it can be extraordinarily fatty. Yeah. So I happen to like the fat, uh, because I only hunt bears. You know, I only, I, I only accept bear meat or hunt bears where I know that the fat is going to be of quality. So the problem is black bears and definitely grizzly bears love, love, love to eat salmon. Yeah. Well, if you've got a bear that's eating salmon all day long, sure, it's going to have a nice pelt, but the, it's going to be disgusting. Yeah. Like you, you'll have to remove all the fat and then what's the worst fun in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and so <clears throat> Not only do uh, you have a dietary thing going on with the bear, but do you think, see <clears throat> so here in New Mexico, we, we can only fall hunt bear. We can't spring hunt. And I've always wondered about the states where they allow spring hunting because they came out of hibernation and they haven't eaten anything for several months. And you're like, you know, what is there? For, you know, there has to be a taste difference because there they haven't is. eaten anything.
1: So a spring bear, people like spring bears because they're clean. Uh, so okay. they are much leaner. But they—it's not like you hunt them immediately after they get out of hibernation. You you hunt them about a month or so after. So they're typically eating fresh, green, new things. So you know the it, the seasons are generally set so that they've put on more weight from hibernation, but they're still pretty lean and clean.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because here we hunt them in the fall, and uh, it's been what five years now, probably. That we've done yeah. a bear hunt, and we took down a black bear. Um, season in New Mexico starts around late August, and so, you know, during that period they're starting to, you know, really forge, and I think it depends on what state you're in. Like, here in New Mexico they don't have, like, massive access to, to fish. They're looking for, you know, berries and everything else that go, you know, they're more omnivore, you know, looking for plant-based type protein at that point. And so, you know, I wonder if they taste... A lot different because if they're eating more berries and and nuts and stuff like that and grubs and everything else they can find.
1: You know? Oh, I would imagine a New Mexico bear would be a very tasty bear. Yeah, it, it was pretty good. I mean, yeah. it was
0: weird though because we were underneath the same st- stigma of like, oh man, they're they're really greasy and this and this and that. And I personally didn't find it. I mean, yeah, they're definitely a fat animal, but it, the the fat tended to be towards in between the the hide and the muscle versus like actually marbled into it like a, you know, like a beef cow. How do you prepare bear yourself? Like what are your recommendations and to to get rid of that stigma and that fear of eating bear for people out there that are kind of hesitant?
1: Uh, It's actually kind of an interesting meat to cook with as a cook because the the meat itself is very beef-like, but the fat is very pork-like. So it's kind of like, Pork and beef mixed at the same time. So, one good option is to. It's a fantastic sausage meat. You know, right. It makes yeah. makes a great you know ground meat for meatballs. It makes really good meatballs, meatloaf, sausages, that sort of thing. Um, so that's it's it's ideal for that. The, it has very long shanks. Bears have long lower legs and lower limbs. So um, if you take a hacksaw to those shanks to you know, to cut maybe three finger, four finger wide discs out of the shanks, it makes really good asabuco, uh, an Italian dish that uses that t- traditionally uses either beef or, or veal shanks. Um, you know, the whole front of the animal is really good for pot roast because it tends to be pretty fatty. Um, you know, so uh, you know, there's a ton of like think about beef or pork dishes where things are fully cooked, and that's kind of where you want to. Put your mind.
0: Brought to you by Stealth Cam. Do you 4K? <laughs> I, I know. You know. It's weird. Is that we had a storm? I'm sure you guys experienced too, that storm that came through. Verizon was having a major problem. i saw there on the West Coast, and we were having some internet problems ourselves. So I don't know what's going on. If that storm wreaked havoc, or if Verizon has a problem with their service, or something. I don't know what's going on.
2: It could be. I mean, it's it's pretty weather here today. So
0: yeah, it, it finally cleared up here. <laughs> Um,
2: Bad, you
0: know. yeah, so we'll give it one more shot here. And if not, then we'll have to reschedule or something. Um, going back to the bear. So you said treat kind of like a,
2: where pork- did I cut off?
0: <laughs> yeah. Tr- treat it, you know, kind of like treating it like a pork, uh, beef combo, you know, and you were talking about the shanks and how those come out mm-hmm. pretty good.
2: Other than shanks, another option is to think about any dish that involves pork or beef that you would cook thoroughly, you know, like a pot roast or, you know, shredded or stews or that sort of thing. I mean, bear does really well with that. Yeah. The other interesting bit to this is that because bears stand up a lot, mm-hmm. their backstrap really isn't that tender. I mean everybody think, Oh, backstrap is gonna be best. Well, it is if you walk around on four feet all day. Uh, but if you don't, if you stand up a lot, that the backstraps of a bear are going to be significantly tougher than the backstraps of a deer of the same size. Okay. So my advice on those is to look to Chinese food. Uh-huh. So we're stir-fries where you take the backstrap of a bear, cut it into little pieces, and then it's tenderized and stir-fried and it's cooked through, so it's not it's not bloody inside. Yeah. But that is a good way to enjoy
0: that cut of meat. Okay. Yeah. We, you know, being in Southwest, um, I think with the backstraps on and now we diced them up and then we would cook in red chili, kind of almost like a carne alivada, but, uh, with the uh, bear backstraps. <laughs> yeah. And a it came out idea. pretty good.
3: Um, yeah. We experimented. Uh, I know Eric, when he shot his bear, he turned a lot of it into like a breakfast sausage and we work here at the fire station. Uh, so We are always cooking, you know, and we like to try different things. But we're always cooking with the bear, and a lot of people, you know, they're afraid of the bear. So when we're cooking, you know, we cook a lot with game meat because we're we're hunters, you know, a lot of us. So we have uh, deer, elk, antelope. You know, when we got that bear, so we're just trying it different ways and mixing it up with different things, and everybody loved it. You know, and they're like, "Wow, I'm shocked that this is actually bear. It's really good."
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what we, you know, I I mentioned before that I I was, I just did off a guess on the diet. A New Mexico bear should taste good.
0: Yeah. 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 And you hear that with beef, but with your experience with game, because you were talking about how bear, depending on what they're they're eating at the time when you're hunting them, do you find that to be kind of true with uh, deer and elk when it comes to, you know, um, the bow hunt, which is early season? So they should be Lots of acorns, lots of green shoots coming—you know, green grass from the monsoons—versus hunting an elk in late season. You know, when everything's starting to die off and they're kind of changing their their habits. Have you? Have you? Would you I don't know if i going to say I agree with it, but have you noticed so that their
2: diet? But diet does not affect um, herbivores as strongly as it does with omnivores. Okay so so the the main omnivores we hunt are bears, pigs, um, really bears, pigs, ducks and and some of the upland birds as well okay so yeah. so they they can be much more radically defined by their diet than say elk or deer so no but that said if a, if a if say a deer, a mule deer is eating nothing but sagebrush versus a deer that's eating nothing but alfalfa, yeah, you'll notice a difference, yeah. So it, it's there. It's not that it's there is no difference, but I think the really the biggest issue for hunters and, and big game animals is the rut.
0: Yeah, we kind so, of talked about the rut.
2: <laughs> yeah, every every study ever done on this shows that the meat quality of a buck declines significantly once you get into the rut, and it's and it's much worse after the rut.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, we mostly early season bow hunt for elk, um, deer, it's whatever we can draw. And we've always talked about that, you know, a rutting bull. I mean, cause you know, there's, they are stinky dudes. And sometimes you wonder if it, um, gets intermittently put into the, their muscle as well when they're in that rut mode you know, with all the
2: hormones. It's a hormone thing. Yeah. And you know, if you were to tag a, a an elk in the first week or two of the rut, you're fine. But the, the longer that that rut goes on, the more hormones are racing through. The, and you remember, he's running around and fighting all the time. Yeah. Right. So his muscle tone is going to be not as good as a pre-rut animal. Yeah. And then, conversely, because that elk hunt is so early, if you then turn around and give that elk a month or a month and a half or so after the rut to let him you know, kind of get back to normal, down where you are, you have a better option of getting a decent quality animal in terms of eating. Okay. But if you had to choose just for the table, you always want to either get like a raghorn, which isn't going to rut anyway. Yeah. Or, you know, get at the very beginning of the rut or, or before it even. Yeah. Ideally it's right. The ideal animals is, is a big, nice, healthy animal right before the rut.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of like elk and deer, you know, if we hear a lot of different ways of, do you ever cure your meat? Like in like age it or you hear guys, some people will age it in milk or uh, like a brine. Do you ever do that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff where
2: there is some value to it. So there's two things that you can be talking about. One is, you know, just straight up aging meat before you even deal with it. And that's super important. Um, you, You don't have to, do, you know, 21-day dry-aged beef I mean, you can, you know, and, and the book actually details it. But the the it is extremely important when you're dealing with an elk or a deer or a pig or something like that to butcher it as little as possible until it gets through rigor mortis. So that's about 24 to 36 hours, 48 hours maybe with a big elk. And so, yeah, I mean, often you're on the side of a mountain somewhere, so you've got to quarter it out and get it out of the field anyway. Yeah. But the, the, there's a um, phenomenon called shortening. So imagine, like, you know, if everyone listening to this, m- make your bicep big, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's just say somebody shot you, now you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've got this tight bicep, right? And now when your body goes into rigor mortis, if you cut that bicep off, it's going to stay shortened and tight. And if you go through rigor mortis, everything gets, then gets limp. And it's, once you get through rigor mortis, and you can do whatever you want. But if you butcher something during rigor, it is always going to be tougher than if you butcher it either before it gets into rigor or after it gets into rigor. Oh, so um, so there is a, a there's a trick like basically, if you walk up on your elk and uh-huh. you're like, oh boy, I gotta butcher this whole thing in the field, get those backstraps off before you do anything else because if you can get the back straps off before the animal goes into rigor, you're fine it, it it but what happens is with especially with an elk or a moose or something large like that, it takes you so long to deal with it for most people, <laughs> yeah. at least for me, right. uh, it's going to be in rigor mortis by the time you're, you're halfway through. So it's, it's imperative to get the most tender bit of that animal off while it's still tender. Okay. So the everything else, like a hind leg, you'll be fine because you're really just taking it off the ball joint.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And, you know, foreleg, it's not even attached. So all you have to do is just separate it from the body and you're good to go. So that's and then you you let those big pieces sit for 2 days you know in cooler or in some cool place and you're fine. And then that that is a that is a secret to tender venison.
0: Okay. That's a, yeah, that's something that yeah. we because we do the gutless quartering and usually the back straps are the last things that come off for us. I mean just not knowing now that you know. Yeah, actually, this that? is very knowledgeable stuff here. Yeah, it is usually the last uh, come off and some with your um,
3: the tenderloin. The tenderloins, yeah. Yeah, we
0: usually do the Yeah, tender well,
2: tenderloins are so tender that it even if they do get shortened, who cares, it's the, the tenderloin. Okay. But I would flip it. I would get your up off first and then go to the quarters. Okay. All right. We'll try that
3: for yeah. sure. Yeah, let's try um, that.
2: So now about the milk and the brine. So this is all, it, to some extent, it's a matter of taste. So let's, let's deal with milk first.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I only use a milk brine for, like, sea ducks, um, Sharp-tailed grouse, and you know maybe if I had a real ruddy buck or um, uh, or you know, awful, like kidneys and livers, those things. Because what milk will do is milk will there's a, an acidic component that does some tenderizing, but it really does pull blood out for some reason, and it it washes away a, a significant amount of flavor, and it makes it much more neutral. So, you know, you could do that with a prime piece of venison, but I don't know why you'd want to. Because
3: okay.
0: Because it,
2: it, it removes flavor from an otherwise very delicious piece of meat. Now, I use it, I use it to tame off or ske- or sketchy meats. You know, like, if I'm shooting a bunch of sea ducks in San Francisco Bay, they eat clams for a living. And, you know, Lord knows that, you know, you need to tame a little bit of that. Maybe if you had a really sagey antelope. Mm -hmm. Milk would be good. Now, brine is an entirely different story. So brining is, you know, it uses salt to penetrate the cell walls of meat. And what it does is it allows whatever meat that's been cooked, anytime you brine any meat, it will retain more moisture after cooking than it would have if you did not brine it. So all meats lose moisture when you cook them. That's just science. But yeah. the, the presence of salt allows the meat to stay moisture longer. And it will penetrate to the center, whereas marinades will not. Marinades uh, only work on the surface.
0: Okay. So how long would you, and if you do brine, what have you found like, the, like that optimal window? Of brining?
2: It all depends. It takes time for the salt to get to the center of meat. So, uh, one thing that I do with venison quite a bit is if I, you know, I shoot a lot of small deer. So, Coos deer in Arizona or uh, blacktails here in Northern California. So, you know, and if you're listening to this and you're in your whitetail country, you know, Bidenbach or or something like that, something small, antelope. You know, I will often take an entire hind leg and smoke it. And and I only smoke until it's done, which, which is to say I want the, the center of that pine leg to be about 130, 135 degrees. Okay. So it's you're really just smoke roasting it. Yeah. It's brine, but it takes several days in the refrigerator for a salt brine to penetrate to the, to the very center of it. Yeah. So have you ever seen, have you ever tried to like smoke a ham or something like that where the cure didn't get all the way in and so you've got this weird ring
0: yeah, where it's pink, pink,
2: pink, pink, and then, oh, there's like this ring of gray in the center. Yeah. That's because the salt didn't get there, didn't get all the way to the center.
3: Okay. Oh, a lot of information here. I know. <laughs> <send> it so <laughs> no, no, it's all good all information, in
0: just things that we just didn't think
3: of before, you know? Right. Um. And your book, when you're talking about your book, a lot of this information is this within that book,
2: Oh, yeah. Pretty much everything I'm talking about
3: is in Buck Buck Moose. Perfect. Cool.
0: So far, the listeners, you know, definitely look at this Buck Buck Moose book with uh, Hank Shaw. And we're going to continue talking. Um, You know, when people say, you know, I'll have friends that aren't really into the game meat era, and they'll try some if I'm cooking some at home, and they're kind of hesitant, or they're like, oh, yeah, it's gamey do you think it's because it's the way we're prepping it when people say that or is it kind of a combination of both or do you have to know what you're cooking game wise and what complements it is that what helps out too with that that whole uh, I hate calling it gamey taste I think people just get so used to store bought beef they don't realize what a true free range animal eats you know
2: that is exactly it you've 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 answered your own question so like for the 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 vast majority of what people call gamey is what you are saying. It's, it's the animal tastes like itself and it tastes like its diet and its diet isn't corn. Yeah. Every meat, almost every meat that we eat as North Americans has been either fed entirely or finished on corn. And corn is a very specific flavor profile that you can pick up in, when you eat it. So, that's why you'll actually hear people like, "Ah, I don't like grass fed beef.
0: Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. My wife.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Because it's, well, first of all, they've never had good grass fed beef. Like good grass fed beef is ridiculously good. You know, it's, it's very difficult to find. Um, it's fat will be slightly, it won't be, it won't be ghost white. Yeah. So that ghost white fat that you're used to seeing is entirely from grain. So, uh, so, that's the hugest thing. So there are certain animals that inherently have a, have a flavor to them. You know, some we like, like turkey. You know, a wild turkey and a and a good domesticated turkey that tastes like turkey. You know, yeah, we like that. Now you go to some of the dark meat grouse, for example, or uh, a diver duck, and those those birds are definitely have a have a taste on them that is not for everybody. You know, ptarmigan, for example, are a very strong-tasting little bird. And I like them, and, but I don't know that I'd want to base my diet on them because they're they a strong bird. <laughs> yeah. And the other piece to game me, though, is what you started with, which is preparation. So, yeah, if, if let's say you're shooting antelope, and let's say everybody here is has an antelope tag. Yeah. And you all get your antelope early in the day, but I somehow can't seem to shoot. I can't find one. Oh, man. And it's finally—it's like three o'clock in the afternoon, four in the afternoon. Finally, I get my. Animal. So, all right, we got all four animals down on the ground, and now we start butchering. See what happened? Yeah, mine's fine. Yours are ruined. Yeah. So yeah. that's an example where your animals will be gamey because of handling, and and mine might be safe. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, we we're pretty good on that. We whoever like we do we've gone into animal hunting in the past with probably three years now, mm-hmm. and whoever gets the first one down. It's all hands on deck and on taking care of that animal as quickly as possible, getting the hide off and getting it, you know, air cooled down and all that stuff. And then we move on uh, to the next one, you know, where that yeah. person took yeah, off yeah, by themselves right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you
3: know, and it was a lot of trial and error, you know. I mean, back in the day, younger, you know, you shoot your animal, you gut it, you throw it into the bed of the truck, you drive who knows how long you know back to camp get it hung up in the tree everybody has to take pictures come and look at it and then you finally start working on it you know and
2: it's 70 degrees out you know? yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> you know
3: and now you know with us uh ever since we've been really hammering down on on hunting and really focusing in on it we've learned a lot you know like the gutless quartering you know and the first thing we do we Walk up to the animal, yeah. We snap a few pictures, we get that out of the way, and then it's immediately that skin is coming off and that animal is getting cooled down, you know. Mm -hmm. And then we start disassembling it, yeah, especially now because most
0: people are in the probably the West are probably hunting in some warm weather,
3: yeah. And and that's one of the things like a lot of a lot of the guys, uh, they're like, Man, this tastes so good, and what do you guys do? And we're we just tell them it's just field prep, you know, we immediately cool that animal and start disassembling it. Therefore, it's opening that whole animal up and cooling it, cooling the meat down.
2: Well, think about birds, for example. So, I do a lot of quail hunting in that part of the world. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm hunting quail and it's pretty warm out, which is often, yeah, I actually I might have a vest. You know, I I have one of those really spare Filson. It's just basically a harness, Um, and that works great. But if it's actually hot, I've got a different. I've got a a game strap, like what you use for ducks, Uh but it's got, it's got like nine or 10 little loops on it. And I hooked that, you notice like everybody who has a upland game bird vest, you'll notice right in the center of your back up at the top, there's a loop. And that's ostensibly so that you can hang it on a hook, but it's also, you can put one of those game straps through that hook and then walk around with your quail in the open air as you're walking around and that makes a huge difference when you're talking about, because I think about it, otherwise you have very warm quail piled on each other in a pouch. When you're generating heat, they're generating heat, at least, you know, for an hour or two Yeah. and it's 75 or 80 degrees out. Yeah. That's yeah. no, that's no point
0: out. <laughs> no, it's not. It <laughs> makes perfect
3: sense because whenever we're out dove hunting, you know, it, it's hot. And you're shooting dove and, you know, you have your limit, which is, you know, it's ridiculous. So you're just throwing those birds in the back. And, yeah, I never even thought about that. They're just piling yeah. on top. And you don't do I anything with it. I always put my your,
2: doves in a line in the shade and watch for ants because ants seem to love dead doves.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's one bird what I I don't like uh, it's is dove. It's a dark meat. It's just, to me, I can't handle it. And I've tried cooking it. Many different ways, and I'm like, I don't know. I can't. I just can't handle doves. Have so. you cooked it rare? No. That's the key. Okay,
2: I'll try. So that. The, the fundamental thing with all red meat birds, whether it's ducks or doves or dark meat grouse or parmigan or whatever, you have to treat them like beef. So okay. the and in the case of the dove, most of the meat is the breast.
3: Right. And
2: mm-hmm. if if you cook it so that it's medium rare. Like So plenty pink inside, it's fantastic. But if you cook it fully through, like as if it was a chicken, it's terrible. It's it's dense and livery.
3: Yeah, and I think that's what I don't like about it, you know, and it's probably because of that I just don't know the proper way to cook it.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I cover doves in my latest book, which is a book called Pheasant Quail Cottontail, and that covers all the birds and all the small game.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of sand crane down here. Um, Same thing. You know, for the guys that are listening to it, because there's a lot of that going on out here. You know. Oh,
2: Sandhill cranes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, a Sandhill Crane breast grilled or smoked until it's like medium rare or even medium is phenomenal.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: A
2: Sandhill Crane breast cooked all the way through is, a, you should not have even shot that bird. <laughs> You've ruined it. Gotcha. I mean, the, 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 here's another sort of universal trick. You anything that works for a living needs to be cooked slow and low. So that's legs or wings. Anything okay. that doesn't work for a living needs to be cooked as little as possible because there's two universal truths in that. Number one, if you're dealing with a, a bird breast or a backstrap and you undercooked it, you can always cook it more. If you are dealing with a leg or a wing or shoulder or a neck, and still tough, you can always cook it more. And in, if you forget everything else about what you've heard this whole hour, remember that. Okay. Cook the the tender parts. People cook the tender parts too much and the tough parts too little.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And know this is all a learning process for us as well. I mean, for a lot of people, I think um, we don't nearly discuss all this stuff, you know, or even new. I don't think.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I can, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say <laughs> you can't eat a wild turkey leg, I could eat at the finest restaurant in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep cooking it, dude. Yeah. And like, I mean, I'm not talking about like, like sitting it in, in an oven, baking it. Cause that'll, you'll ruin it. It needs moist heat. Okay. Put yeah. it in a crock pot. Yeah. It ain't rocket science, you know, <laughs> throw a shank in a in a crock pot. Go to work. Come back. It's great.
0: Yeah. But, um, What's one that you, I've never tried yet? I haven't. We haven't really hunted. I haven't. I don't know if Brian has, but uh, javelina. You know, you hear them nicknames calling them stink pigs and stuff like that. And some people will say it's hard to uh, cook those. Javelina is
2: just a pig. I this, mean, it, I've it, butchered any number of javelina, and it's just a micro pig. Uh-huh. And you have to really want to get into that gland because that gland that that everybody talks about. Yeah, it's in. It is in the skin itself. Okay. Excuse me. That gland is in the skin itself, and if you butcher your javelina as if you butcher any old pig, in in other words, not messing with the skin around the small of the back, you just take it right off. Uh-huh. You'll never even see the gland, and it basically smells just like a pig, which you know, yeah, greatest smell in the world. But it's not it's not that horrible. Have you smelled that? Like like a really bad javelina smell?
0: I have not. I can't say. That right. I've been Ooh, around a few. It's like, and... the,
2: I, it, it's like being in a locker room at halftime.
3: Oh. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah that's I, bad. I guess you
2: have that's to a say description. that. No, I haven't.
0: <laughs> so
2: yeah, don't nick that skin. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. One trick a lot of guys use with javelina is they they wear a couple pairs of gloves. So they'll wear you know they'll put on one pair of nitrile gloves you know little you know latex or nitrile gloves and they'll skin them out. And then they'll they'll toss that pair of gloves, and then and so any because a lot of times the javelina will scent mark their fur, so you know as you're skinning it you'll get it on your hands, and so if you take that pair of gloves off your hands are clean, no more smell, and you got a uh, you know a skinned javelina. Now you got it with a second pair of gloves, and you're good to go.
0: Okay, yeah, so you're not kind of cross contaminating. So to speak, mm-hmm. you know getting the oil off. The- yeah,
2: you know, I mean, cuz even if you don't nick the skin, if if it's a big old boar javelina and it's he's all smelly greasy on his fur, you're going to get some of that on your hands or your knife while you're doing your job skinning it out and you just you want to minimize that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But well, once you do, they're delicious. I love them. I'm going go to go I'm going to Arizona uh, in February just to just to go hunt.
3: <laughs> yeah. I I want to do it again, but I I think here in New Mexico they charge a little too much for a javelina tag, you know, it costs more. Or you can go
2: to South Texas and just whack them. Oh, there
3: you go. (laughs) Yeah. True. (laughs) That's a good idea. Yeah, here they want more than, I think it was the double, the double the deer. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like $60 or something like that for a pig. And then it's like 40 or something like that for the deer. And you're just like, it's, I don't want to spend that much just for a A micro pig. Yeah, exactly. You're like, no, it's, it's pointless, you know, and they got a lot of them here and they give away a lot of tags you know, for javelina, I guess it will work if if you don't draw anything and you want to go hunt, then you could just go buy an over-the-counter uh, license because they do that now.
2: Um, When's your rifle season for javelina?
3: Uh, it's late out have the proclamation. I mean, I want to say it's like in it may not be till
0: February, right? Yeah, I think it,
2: I think true. it's just like Arizona. I think yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty
0: close early. to Arizona's uh, season as well. It's pretty late. I know it may be January or February.
3: Yeah. Well, speaking of the the glands, you know, a lot of people, they sit there and, you know, I've seen, I've seen people cut the glands off of like the elk and deer and stuff like that off their back leg. And I, I always sit there. I'm like, why are you guys doing that? Just stay away from it. You skin it, you skin it off, but they'll use that exact knife, what they cut the gland off to start skinning and chopping up their, their animal. You know, yeah, and, that
2: gets stinky in a hurry.
3: Yeah, and I'm like, well, you're using the exact same knife, so if you just leave the gland alone, you know where it's at, and cut around it. We've always done that. We've cut around it, you know, just by skinning the animal. Never touch it. We've never had a problem. But we always carry yeah, multiple do the knives same. too, you know. But
2: it's I th- do exactly the same.
3: Yeah, and I'm like, and I I've taught a lot of people, you know, on on the skinning and on the gutless quartering, out there in the field. You know, when I go on hunting trips with them and they're, they swear that they're like, oh, I'll never go back to gutting an animal again. You know, and they're like, thanks for the information on, you know, I never realized cutting the gland off and then they're using the same knife. They never actually thought about it until you
2: bring it up to them. Yeah. The other thing is like, if you, if you hunt something that's got that tarsal gland and it's not even remotely near the rut, it's not going to be smelly. Yeah, it gets really active as they get closer to the rut, and you know I've caught them. You know we have a we have an early uh, blacktail deer season, which is way before their rut, and it's in August, and you know you can cut right through it and you won't smell a thing. Yeah, but you you, you get one as they're rutting, you, yeah, you'll smell it. <laughs> I always got my animals anyway because uh, I tend to eat a lot of the innards, so. um so I gotta get at, I gotta get at
3: it somehow. So I might as well do that. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. If you're into the, the liver and stuff like that, you know, that's one thing I, I, I don't mess with. Um, I know a lot of people they used to get uh, mad at us. We hunted up in Wyoming one year, and we left the liver, and we got our butts chewed out by him because he <laughs> wanted the liver. So the next deer, <laughs> excuse me, the next deer we got, we had to make sure that we brought that liver to him, you know, and he just he cooked it up right away but speaking of that um eating the heart a lot of people eat heart of of their animal um what is the best way to maintain or properly care for the heart if you want to try it or cook that up
2: it's just meat so that's the thing like there's this weird myth out there that you can't freeze organs like i don't know where that started but i get asked <laughs> this a lot like can you freeze liver? Can you freeze heart? Can you freeze kidneys? Uh, of course. Oh
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it I makes mean, sense. I've had
2: I've, I've had two year old vacuum sealed heart it was it was perfectly fine.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So so okay. So everybody imagine a big old deer heart. Mm-hmm. Now the first thing you need to do is you need to take a real sharp paring knife or a small knife, and trim off that. And it'll have a little ring of fat around the top of it. That fat is going to be super dense and very waxy. you got to get rid of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and then you'll notice on the very top of the, the heart, there's a bunch of veiny and artery stuff sticking out. I cut that off, and it's it just looks weird and gross. So I'm, nobody wants to eat that. <laughs> um, and then if you look down to where you just cut, you'll see the chambers of the heart. Being mammals, it's, we all have four-chambered hearts. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to... I, I could I could show you better than I can tell you, but but just telling you what you want to do is you want to open up those chambers so you have flat pieces of meat, and it's it's almost like unraveling a scroll or opening up uh, like a book, and so when you have these flat pieces of meat, then you can take if you want some people do and some people don't, um, you can you can trim that sort of veiny in- infrastructure that's on the, that's on the inside of the chambers. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Depends on how I cook it. And then what I do is, once I have those pieces, I will, I will often, you know, either tenderize them with a jacquard, which is that thing that has all the little knife blades on it that you, that you kind of punch down on meat over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. You cut yeah, it yeah. So that works really well with a heart. Another thing is you can just pound it like a, like a cutlet. Um, you know, like a chuleta or a, uh, or a, a schnitzel. And that works really well, too. And then, again, this is a... When you do that, you want to cook it medium. You don't want to overcook heart because then it gets very dense and very kind of tacky on the teeth, and it's just no good. So I always grill it, or um, I'm a real fan of a Peruvian dish called Anticuchos de Corazon. And it's basically chili marinated chunks of... Heart that are grilled over a hot fire, then they're amazing. Yeah, we could pull that
3: off. <laughs> we might want, have truly. to cruise up there, man, and have a gourmet meal with you. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to come down to New Mexico and chase chase God's creatures.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what would be
0: like a how do I want to put this? Like, you're in, a, in the you're like, Yeah, I'm gonna pull some meat out and, and cook tonight, and you kind of don't go out and prepare for it. What are some quick Herbs and spices you could pull out of that probably mostly everyone has to throw on say deer or an elk that changes the sure. you know some just other than cooking a hamburger you know.
2: Well, I'll give you. I'm gonna start by saying, oh man, I want to cook some deer tonight. Well, I have I don't have anything thought. Well, the, your number one trick is if you have a vacuum sealer and you vacuum sealed meat, pull it out of the freezer, fill up your your soup pot full of cold water
0: um some people um i don't know what they call that. i'm starting to see it catch on or it's probably been around but they're starting to catch on where you're, you're vacuum sealing meat and they're cooking it uh in these high temperature little oh, sous vide, yeah yeah sous
2: vide, yeah um i do that sometimes but I, I really like fire i mean i cook a lot with open fire um smoking grilling and and a hot pan a lot. So I, I do a lot of just sort of elemental and basic cooking. Um, I did sous vide quite a bit. Uh, I used to be a professional chef and used it in the, in the professional kitchens. Uh. Um, and I think that, I think it's like, the way I describe sous vide is it's, it's like canning. Okay. So anyone who's ever started canning, like fruits and vegetables and that sort of thing, that first year you can everything like you, you you can 100 gallons of peaches or make 50 gallons of tomato sauce and da-da-da-da-da, you know, and you're super excited about this and, and then you realize a year later there's no way in God's green acre you're ever going to eat that much peaches or that many, that much tomato sauce. So a lot of people in the wild game world right now are in that first year of canning stage they are sous eating everything. Yeah. And as people work with that cooking setup... Uh, they, they, it's, it will naturally decline until you settle on those few things that you really like. Um, but to get back to your question, if you are hanging around and you want to do a quick weeknight game meal, my advice is to buy good black peppercorns and have a, a, a pepper grinder. So freshly cracked black pepper. Uh, it's simple. But it really makes a difference. It'll tell you when to put it on in a minute. Decent salt, of course. And then I like a bit of acidity at the end. So I do this with duck breasts. I do this with venison. I do this with doves. Uh, sometimes I even do it with a light meat bird like quail. So you you cook your piece of meat however you're going to cook it. You know, grill it or in a pan or something like that very quickly. And... It's only seasoned with salt while you're cooking it. That's it. Everything else goes on when you're letting the meat rest. And even if you just flavor your venison or your duck or whatever with salt, when it comes off the pan to rest, grind a bunch of black pepper over it then while it's resting. Huh. And then right when you serve it, squeeze a bit of lime or lemon or a dash of Worcestershire or or something else vinegary or tart. And you'll be amazed at how good it tastes with only those three ingredients.
0: Yeah, I like that. That sounds very simple. It's not overcomplicated. <laughs> you can yeah, I mean, that
2: it's, that's at its core, if you've got good meat and you've cooked it well, it doesn't need much.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, for those who are unfortunate to not draw big game. Uh, cause I, I was looking through Instagram and you have some squirrels. Um, at least most days it's pretty easy to obtain a small game license and go out squirrel hunting. Do you like a certain time, a certain squirrel you like to go after or is it all squirrel fair game for you? And
2: well, tree squirrels. So, I mean, here in the West you have to always, um, make, make a distinction because there are ground squirrels and i I do not hunt or eat brown squirrels. They have a bad habit of carrying hantavirus and bubonic plague that the tree squirrels do not. So, um, I'm not a huge fan of bubonic plague.
0: Yeah. I don't think, no, I'd rather stay away from it. So
2: yeah, but but Western tree squirrels, oh, they're super fun, super fun to hunt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend that
2: uh, does it a lot. I mean, if you've never eaten squirrel, it's one of my favorite meats. I mean, they are, um, it's like the best chicken thigh you ever. Seen.
0: Yeah, and practice their diet too. I'm assuming too, because they probably they're probably real nitpicky guys.
2: And they've got a really good diet too. I mean, it's just you know, they their diet is results in good meat.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and, and that's for, I think for most people in the West, that's in, you know, like I said, it's a small game tag uh, Our license is pretty much just over the counter. And wait for season to start, and then you can go out there and I, I don't know. Do they, I'm sure there's limits in some states. Is that a
3: limit here? There is. I can't remember. Oh,
2: yeah. There's always a limit on squirrels. Yeah. Uh, some states don't have limits on rabbits, though.
3: Oh, yeah. 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 We, sure. yeah. Speaking <laughs> of rabbits, my, my father-in-law used to raise rabbits, and he had a lot of them that got out and just started, you know, they're everywhere. <laughs> so he would call me up, and he's like, hey, you need to come get some rabbits. So, you know, I would end up. I'll go over there and shoot like 15 plus rabbits, you know, and I'll sit there, skin them all. You know, my, I'll have the boy uh, be uh, shooting them and I'm skinning them and just start bagging them up and stuff like that. And then we'll just bring them here to the, I'll bring them here to the station and yeah. to the fire station. And we'll just, uh, we'll either smoke them, we'll grill them, we'll cook them up. And we've but done the heat it, is too. Fajitas come out really good. Yeah. We've done it multiple ways and man, it's, it's phenomenal. It's some good meat.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, southern fried rabbit is one of life's great pleasures.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, we haven't fried one yet. We should try it. We have the ability to do it. You need to, man.
2: <laughs> Buttermilk fried rabbit, it's the bomb.
0: Yeah, we'll have to try that. <laughs> and, um, I were watching. I think it was Randy Newberg. I think they shot a uh, a jack and that's where I'm like, that's one of yeah, that the was few. Me. Huh.
2: That was me. Oh, I, was I'm, it? I'm okay, okay. I was, yeah. that was I think it was with you. <laughs> okay.
0: And I'm watching this, and I'm like, I I don't know if I could do it. But I'm not sure about it. And I take your guys' word for it, but, you know, it's always been a, you know, out in the West, it's always been like, oh, no, no, you don't eat those things. You just let them, let them be, you know, or just shoot them, and that's it. You know, but after watching know, that could... series, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll try it in winter. You know, maybe not summer, but <laughs>
3: but even you said
0: yourself, I you can shoot nine them nine
2: guys jackrabbit tacos <laughs> off of one analog jackrabbit.
3: Uh-huh. Oh see. That's pretty darn good.
0: Yeah.
2: Are you there? Yeah, I totally recommend oh.
0: it. Yeah, totally Yeah. And <laughs> I think what you said because sometimes um I think you brought up that you know during the warmer part of you might get is it like a, some type of a uh, it's like a worm or something like that in their skin only, and some people freak out, yeah, but it's only the in botfly. the skin itself, right?
2: Oh, it's oh idiot.
0: Okay. So the,
2: it's the, a bot it's called warbles or wolves or botfly larvae and um it doesn't hurt the meat at all but it's the one of the more disgusting things you'll just see like if you, <laughs> you remember the old star trek movie like the wrath of khan where they put that thing in Chekhov's ear it yeah. looks like that
0: okay That's yeah. bad. i hear that in blacktail too blacktail sometimes get something in their uh-huh. in their nostrils yep muleys too oh i mule- see i haven't seen it on a mule deer yet but um i heard on blacktail I haven't seen a the milder thank God, because <laughs> yeah, I freak out probably. probably grossed out.
2: Oh, it's just, it's gnarly. <laughs> it makes you glad you have fingers, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. No joke. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'll pick those suckers out.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh man. Um, with the jackrabbit, you kind of treat the same thing as just like you would a cottontail or, or squirrels. You...
2: A little different. So jackrabbits are older and tougher than either of those other two animals. Uh-huh. And they're red meat. So, Jackrabbits are always red meat. So you, I treat them like little tiny deer.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Something to remember because there's some. Well, you know, there's some big jackrabbits out there. <laughs> oh yeah, look like dogs running around out there. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that that's kind of like odd that people kind of shy away from. But what about mountain lion? You don't hear a whole lot about it, but in a lot of states it is required to take out the meat. So if you're going to haul it out, may as well eat it, right? And have you had any experience with uh, mountain lion?
2: So, personally, I don't shoot dogs or cats of any kind. Um, however, from what I know about mountain lion, the people who do eat it say it's actually quite good. Yeah. And it's pork-like.
0: That's what we've heard, So,
2: um, the other thing you need to know if you're going to eat mountain lion, which, I mean, if you shoot a mountain lion, you ought to eat it, um, is that it is the, it is, they will always have eye parasites. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So you have to cook that properly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was watching uh this is going back to the bear. I think I, I think I'm not sure if in Mexico you can test it or not. I'm sure you can. But someone says like Montana, I think you can send it into game fish and they'll tell you if it's positive or negative. And that that should change the outcome of how you treat it just I guess you give your assurance, but I'm sure in your experience I was watching this one guy um, saying that he stopped getting a test because like nine out of ten and probably has trigonosis and um it just means just cook the meat properly all the time and you'll be all right
2: (laughs) yeah i mean it's you don't want to have trigonide parasites running around in you because some clerk at the fish and game department screwed up your test
0: yeah yeah so just just, always treat it as if it has it right kind of like
2: i would yeah yeah. For, for bears for bears pigs and you know i don't hunt lions but but if you hunted lions yeah for sure Yeah.
0: Makes sense. Well, there, Hank, we really appreciate you um, coming online with us and talking with us about uh, game and hunting game, or actually cooking game, and uh, through all the technical difficulties we had in the beginning, (laughs) we appreciate your patience on that. But uh, for the guys that are listening, please go out there and check out um, Buck Buck Moose. It's a pretty good book, and a lot of good stuff in there with recipes and and not just recipes on ways to prep and take care of your your wild game, um, Hank. Do you know if that's um, just? a uh, – Can you get that? Can you download it on on your book apps out there too? As well, you can read it on your phone. That is if you want the to. only
2: thing you can't do. Actually, okay. Uh, you can buy it on you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it really anywhere that books are sold. Uh-huh. So your local bookstore can get it too if you'd like. Um, and you can find a lot of information as well on the website that I run, which is Hunter Angler Gardener Cook. And uh, so Hunter Angler Gardener Cook is, is huntgathercook.com. So you'll find a ton of information there. And that's, that's also where you can buy sign books. Uh, I, I, I offer okay. sign books for sale off the website. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook as huntgathercook. And you'll find me on both of those.
0: All right. And what's the the other book you were telling us about that uh, about uh, mostly addresses it doesn't the... It says
2: Quail Cottontail.
0: Cool. And that addresses all your other wild game for those that are listening. Yep. And um, all right. Everyone knows where to find you. And hopefully this uh, opens a lot. It opened our eyes up on prepping and cooking and stuff like that. And just real simple and, simple and easy. And I think hopefully people looking into the book, including ourselves, and uh, really... Get uh extravagant with our meals now
3: <laughs> heck yeah I'm definitely gonna have to get get with a couple of those books man so we, we could start trying different things yeah, and different we, ways so to try to be it. useful yes yeah. for sure yeah. well thank you so much for your time we greatly appreciate it
2: yeah yep. good luck out there
0: yeah thanks hold on there hank